the Lord be with you. Thanks. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. It's a gift to worship with you today. I'd love to hear a shout from our friends on the lawn. <laughs> I love it every time. I should tell you that as I was wrapping up the sermon in the first service, someone in the congregation yelled out, Yay! Just to let you know what you're in for. That this is, uh, can I, I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but can I, by show of hands, can I, are there any students like preschool on their way up all the way to grad school here? It's got to be at least, yeah, okay, keep them up there, keep them up there. Now, how about any uh, staff, administrators, teachers, superintendents? It's that weekend. We shift. Uh, so I just want to pray. <laughs> Is that okay? Uh, may the peace of the Lord Christ be with you as he sends you into those hallways and classrooms and conversations. May he guide you through any challenge and protect you in any storm. May he bring you home each day rejoicing at the wonders he will show you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't mind, I'd like to start with a little word from our friend Neil Plantinga. Anybody know that name? God is on the loose. And we're never safe from God's liberating power. It's as if the says, gospel says to us, friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, God is after you. Doesn't that sound like a great sermon? God is after you. I think I'm going to try to preach it. Uh, I'll, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, I'll slow down. Uh, you've seen the commercial. You've laughed out loud. The parents running through the aisles of Target, grabbing the school supp supplies, throwing them into the cart, singing, It's the most wonderful time of the year. A bunch of parents might be singing. Probably a couple of teachers singing a different song. <laughs> This week, maybe, maybe you're the parent dropping your kid off at college and you're humming a very different tune. Or maybe you're one of the students walking into those big hallways and big classrooms and you're not singing at all. It's August 20. It's that, it's that weekend, if you're, if you're willing to see it this way, it's that weekend between what we've been up to and what is yet, we're yet to be up to. You might, you might call it an in-between space or a middle space, in-betweenness, middleness, I'm making up words. Some people call it liminal space, liminality, a transition from one thing to another thing. You're, you can't really read the book you haven't been assigned yet, but you're probably not going to the Tetons this week either. It's in-between space, uh, liminal space. I'm kind of using, if you don't mind, I'm kind of using this weekend as a bit of a metaphor to kind of tap into maybe what we mostly experience most of the time. I mean, at least Christians for a long time have referred to themselves as sojourners, you know, we're like on the way. We're not, 
where we were, but we're not where we're going. Or pilgrims, we, we talk, Christians talk about themselves as pilgrims. We talk about being uh, sort of already in the realities of the resurrection of Christ and not yet fully experiencing its fulfillment. You know what I'm talking about? In-betweenness. Uh, I think that's as evidence that we live in the sort of in-between space are all of the songs about home. Have you noticed this? So many of our songs are, uh, how about John Denver? Oh, you can join me if you want. Country road, take me home to the place I belong. We can stop there. How about Simon and Garfunkel? Do you know Simon and Garfunkel? Home, where my thoughts escape me. Home, where my music's playing. Home, where, whoa, let's stop right there. Uh, what's another one? Michael Buble? I want to go home. Uh, Lumineers, uh, Machine Gun Kelly, uh, The Beatles. We love Philip Phillips, home. We keep talking, you know, Machine Gun Kelly. We keep talking about home. It's this evidence. We're, we're, we're somewhere in between. We're not where we were, but we're not where we're going. It's middle space. It's liminal space. It's in-betweenness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, Craig Barnes in a book titled Searching for Home. It doesn't matter where you move, how fast you run, or how many new identities you try on along the way, you can't escape the longing for home. Even if you stay in the same community in which you were raised, which is rather unusual today, you're stuck with the same longing the rest of us have because the community itself has changed. Sometimes it's we who leave home. Sometimes it's home that leaves us. But an inescapable dynamic of life today is that we're a long way from where we used to be. Does that sound familiar? Middle space. Uh, In-betweenness. Crisis hits your family. And you know, there's really no going back to the way it was. And, and you're really not sure what it's going to be, middle space. Uh, diagnosis was made. And the doctors aren't telling you because they don't know what it's going to be like now. It's middle space. Or maybe it's just something in your heart, you know? Something's just, something's just broken inside. And you're not sure anybody's ever going to be able to put it back together. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's middle space. In-betweenness. I don't want to make more of this than I should, but I started thinking about this while reading the book of Acts this week. Uh, here's how the book of Acts ends. This is Acts 28, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. Paul lived in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's kind of where I want to hang out today. Paul lived in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Anybody know the story of the Apostle Paul? This is kind of an interactive experience. Like, there's got to be more than four of you 
who know, the Apostle Paul, remember, he's the guy, Saul previously, who would seize, snatch, take people of the way, followers of Christ, beat them, participated in their killing. He, he's on his way to Damascus to fish for people in a different sort of way, and a light shines, and a voice is heard. He hits the deck. He can't see a thing. He just says the fundamental question of faith, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I'm Jesus, and Paul is changed like that. He, he holds these new convictions which don't play so well with his old friends. So they try to seize him, and they try to take him, and they beat him, and they stone him, and they try to kill him. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is people who arrest him and try him. So he's been in Jerusalem defending himself. Because he's a Roman citizen, he finagles his way out of that situation, so he gets to go to Rome. You could say out of the frying pan into the fire. He gets to go to Rome <laughs> to defend himself before the emperor. Paul lived in Rome for two whole years. Apparently the emperor was busy. <laughs> he lived in Rome for two whole years, middle space. Is it fair to put it like that? kind of in-betweenness. There's really no going back for Paul. And he's really not sure what's ahead. If he had to hedge his bets, they'll take his life. For two whole years, he lived in Rome at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know a little bit about middle space and in-betweenness and liminality, if you know what I'm talking about, maybe we could take our cues from the Apostle Paul. He welcomed all. Friends, I'm sure, family members probably, fellow followers of Christ, you bet. Pharisees? Sadducees? Roman authorities, I don't know, we don't know, but it does say he welcomed all. This sort of radical hospitality that has befit followers of Christ since the inception of Christianity. In the middle space, in the in-betweenness, where you can't go back, but you're not sure what's ahead, you're hospitality. Uh, I've been reading this book titled Making Room by Christine Pohl. She refers to an ethicist, Philip Haley, an ethicist who spent years studying the human capacity for evil and good, concluded that the opposite of cruelty is not simply freedom from the cruel relationship. It's hospitality. It's not simply not being awful, <laughs> To another person. It's caring. It's not simply not helping. It's loving. It's not simply not yelling another person down. It's helping another person out. Hospitality. Isn't this what Jesus said? Jesus, if they strike you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If they want to sue you and take your tunic, give them your cloak. If they force you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks. Don't refuse the one who wants to borrow. Hospitality. Uh, she goes on, Christine Pohl. Hospitality, because it was such a fundamental human practice, always included family, friends, and influential contacts. 
The distinctive Christian contribution was the emphasis on including the poor and the neediest, the ones who could not return the favor. It's fundamentally human to welcome friends, family, and influential contacts. The Christian contribution are those who can't return the favor. It goes even farther. Early Christian writers claimed that transcending social and ethnic differences by sharing meals, homes, and worship with persons of different backgrounds was proof of the truth of the Christian faith. Hospitality is the proof of the truth of the Christian faith. Not some foolproof argument that I'm right and you're wrong, I'm good and you're bad, I'm smart and you're dumb. Hospitality, making space for another person. Wouldn't it be wild? Wouldn't it be crazy? I mean, it would be like out of this world if a small group of people, I don't know, maybe say on the corner of Ninth and College, practiced hospitality, made space for another person. You don't have to condone everything they do and affirm everything they say. That's not the point. Create space. Just They don't have to think like you, act like you, talk like you, like like you. Create space. Hospitality. I see you need a little help. Okay. So Kristen and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary on Wednesday. A bunch of you are like, 22 years. We thought it was kind of fun, so we went out for a really nice meal. Parenting, life as it is, we couldn't really start eating until 8. Did not stop me from the filet that I devoured. I still haven't slept since the sort of working its way through my system. We thought it'd be fun in celebrating our 22nd anniversary to recount and recall one event, memory, or reflection from each year in our marriage. And we couldn't do it. <laughs> Just kidding. We started in 2001. We married August 16, 2001. Anybody remember 2001? Remember what happened four weeks after Kristen and I got married? 9-11. You talk about a crisis launching us into a liminal space. Uh, the next year, 2002, this is going to be a long sermon, by the way. The next year, 2002, we moved out to Iowa for 10 weeks, northwest Iowa, to a little church surrounded by uh, corn and soybean fields. I'd preach every Sunday morning and Sunday night and visit people all week long at their farms. This is where I learned that the best kind of apple pie has cheddar cheese on top. Spectacular. It's also where we experienced a call to pastoral ministry. 2003, we hitched a ride on a 24-foot rider truck full of everything we owned, which took about two cubic feet, crossed the Mississippi over the Cascades out into the Pacific Northwest where we'd lived for 10 years in a place called Whidbey Island in a town called Oak Harbor, a part of a community called First Reformed Church. The church there had been in decline for a long time. I didn't know what in the world I was doing. As a pastor, I promised myself I'd preach as well as I could, I'd lead as gently as I could, and I'd say, I'm sorry a lot. And I said, I'm sorry a lot. Uh, because the church had been in decline, they were anxious and so they were nervous. They actually kind of started sort of fighting with each other. So I showed up this rookie pastor, and they're kind of looking at me like, okay, pastor, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Somebody had a great idea. Why don't we start? a meal on Wednesday nights. We'll call it Free Food Wednesday. 
so that anybody in the community could come for a free meal. And of course, we argued about the name of the meal because what if it's actually free? People might actually come. That's unsustainable, Pastor. How many free meals are you planning on giving out? Uh, somebody else, her name was Marilee Wong, a kind and gentle woman, thought, hey, what if, we, what if we started something called Dine with Nine? Mostly because it rhymes. But also so that single people wouldn't feel like a third wheel when all of the couples get together. Dine with Nine. So she did, and we did. And I'm not trying to suggest to you pillars in a different place than First Reformed Church was. I'm not suggesting to you we ought to do a free meal on Wednesdays or some ministry called Dine with Nine, but I am commending to you the instinct. Hospitality. Do you know how many things in the Bible alone, if you want to be a literalist, how many things in the Bible happen over food? Hospitality. Create space. You don't have to condone everything. You know that phrase, uh, guilty by association? Let it say of us. Let it be true of us. Wait, it's true of Jesus. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. Hospitality. Creating space for another human being to engage across difference. I mentioned Andy Root last week, that guy, a secular age scholar guy, who's talking about, you know, people think the crisis in the church is declining numbers. He says, whatever, it's not declining numbers. It's basically we've stopped believing in God. We think it's all up to us. His suggestion is what if the church slows way down? Stop trying to programatize our lives and just create space for an encounter with another human being so as to encounter God. Hospitality. Can I keep going? Can I keep pressing on this? Is that okay? Is anybody going to do anything about it? Do you know the name St. Augustine? Okay. St. Augustine, he's a great guy. You should read his stuff. He grew up, essentially, outside of the Christian faith. He would say of himself, he was a very bad person. He wanted to be the best communicator the world had ever known. That was his driving passion, to be the best communicator the world had ever known. So in order to become the best, he had to meet the best. So he tracked down a guy named Ambrose of Milan. Anybody know that name? Ambrose was the bishop of Milan. I'll just read it for you. Uh, this is from Augustine's Confessions. By the way, Augustine is arguably the single most significant theologian in the history of Christianity outside of the New Testament. So I came to Milan and to Bishop Ambrose, who was known throughout the world as one of the best of men. He was a devout worshiper of you, Lord. And at that time, his energetic preaching provided your people with choicest wheat and the joy of oil, and the sober intoxication of wine. Unknowingly, I was led by you to him, so that through him I might be led knowingly to you. This man of God welcomed me with fatherly kindness and showed the charitable concern for my pilgrimage that befitted a bishop. I began to feel affection for him. Not at first as a teacher of truth, for that I had given up hope for finding in your church, but simply as a man who was kind to me. Just let that settle in. Saint Augustine, <laughs> lured to the Christian faith by a man who was simply kind to me. Hospitality. Maybe just maybe there could be a few of us. We're not going to programatize some, you know, it's not going to show up in the pillar weekly. Maybe you could just like create space 
for people in your life and see what God does. See what God does. So the Apostle Paul's in this middle space. He's not going back. He doesn't know what's ahead. He welcomes all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. I mean, of all the things there are to talk about, at least Luke, as he records it, tells us Paul talked about the kingdom. The king, I mean, not life in jail in Rome, not, you know, three squares a day or whatever it is. He talked about the kingdom, the tender details of each of our lives, as important as they are to us, are not the whole picture of what's going on in the world. Our lives are like little strands of the, of the tapestry that God is, the redemption tapestry God is weaving together in the world. It's not to minimize what you know and experience. It's not to demean who you are, but rather to lift you up out of the circumstance and recognize there's something much bigger going on in the world. The kingdom. Where the lion and the lamb will lie down together and there'll be peace on earth. Where swords will become plowshares and spears pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation anymore and they won't learn about war. Where a little child shall lead them the kingdom. Our lives are meant to be wrapped up into that redemption drama not reduced to the circumstances we know each day. The book of Acts is fascinating to me. That's where it ends, Acts 28, 30, 30, 30 and 31. Amazing, isn't it? It's over. Just, I mean, you kind of want to like, is that it? It starts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's how the book of Acts starts. And you know the, uh, the phrase about Rome. What's that phrase about? So Paul's in Rome. What's the phrase about Rome? All roads lead to Rome. So if Paul carrying the gospel gets to Rome, the gospel gets everywhere. The gospel gets to the ends of the earth. So there are nine chapters about the details of Paul's life ending the book of Acts, not just to inform us of what happened to Paul, but to tell us it's happening. The kingdom is happening. Paul gets to Rome. It's not about the details of his circumstance, but about the, the expansion of the kingdom. It's happening. He talks about... So, so the point is, even though we're, we're so sort of like focused on the little details of our lives, which matter, of course it matters, but it's meant to be reoriented to the much larger story of redemption happening in the world. If you want to find your truest self, we're told all the time you got to look inward. you got to delve deep inside to find purpose and meaning and identity and all those things. And, and research suggests over and over and over, it doesn't work. Let me just be helpful. It doesn't work. It will lead you disappointed. 61% of young adults, according to the Harvard Business Junior Journal, seriously lonely. To find yourself, recognize your life's a part of a much larger story. Uh, Frederick Beekner, in my little devotional from Thursday morning, when the kingdom really comes, it's as if the thing you lost and thought you'd never find again is you. Diving deep inside to find you won't find you. Recognizing your life is a part of something so much larger. Find you. You know what I'm saying? 
He's in this middle space, this liminal space, this in-between space, and he welcomes all, and he proclaims the kingdom, and he teaches about Jesus. You know, he didn't talk about, hey, remember that time they tried to stone me? Or, hey, did you see how I got my way out of Jerusalem? That was pretty smart. He talks about Jesus. I wonder what he taught. You know, any, maybe this, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. See, everything's new. I wonder if he taught the, the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. I wonder if he taught, if you confess with your lips Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I wonder what he taught. I wonder if he taught Christ left the eternal communion with the Father and the Spirit and entered into the finite realities of our creatureliness. He took on the vulnerabilities of infantile life born of the virgin. He suffered under, sounds like the Apostles' Creed, doesn't it? He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, only to rise from the dead so that you might have life. He ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns until he comes again to make it all new and to make it all right. God's heart of love is so expansive, he sent his son for you. You know what I'm saying? I just think that's amazing. So the book of Acts, there's an argument in the book of Acts. The official title is the Acts of the Apostles. Did you know that? But there's like fierce debate among Christian scholars and Christian history that it really should be titled the Acts of the Spirit. Isn't that kind of... I like the confusion. I think the confusion is good. Is it the acts of the apostles, what they're doing, or the acts of the Spirit, what the Spirit's doing? I like the confusion. Well, of course the Holy Spirit is working the redemption of the world throughout our lives. He's writing redemption on the pages of you and the details of who you are, which honors who you are and where you are and what you're up to, but doesn't reduce life to where you are and who you are and what you're up to. This is where the kid in the first service when I said, well, I'll close with this, said, yay! <laughs> so you can cheer too. I want to end where we began. God is on the loose. And we're never safe from God's liberating power. It's as if the gospel says to us, friends, believe the good news in Jesus Christ. God is after you. God wants us to get at us because we're fugitives. We're runaways. We're like Cain or Jonah or the prodigal son. The truth is that meeting God would be more like getting electrocuted. God slays in order to save, and the desire to meet God is therefore a death wish. Our addictions have to die. Our pride and envy have to die. Our terrible despair has to die. All that drags us down has to die. Only then can we arise dress up in the virtues of Christ and step out into the sunshine like Jesus walking out of his tomb. Only then can we arise. Dress up in the virtues of Christ and step out into the sunshine. The story of the kingdom, the story of Christ will unfold in the world written on the pages of our lives. Amen? Amen? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, amen.